Good morning, everybody. Before I begin, I'd like to say a brief word to those of you who may be just joining us at Lakeland for like your second or third time. Um, if you, you may be getting the impression like, oh my gosh, this is one of those churches that just talks about money all the time, always raising more funds. Um, that is a function of kind of when you're coming to us. You're coming to us right now at a once every three years season when we really focus intensely on a financial challenge to raise additional funds for ministry here in our church, in our community, and all over the world. So we track this. We only talk about generosity, finances, debt, these types of topics about twice a year. But this year is going to be like five times, right? And, and you're here at time number three. Um, and so that, that's what's happening. Now, I don't want to apologize for that too much because... First of all, wouldn't our world be better if there was just more generosity in it? I mean, can't we all agree on that? Our world would just be better if there was more generosity in it. And the scriptures talk a great deal about finances and freedom from debt and being generous. So we teach the scriptures here, so that's why we always do some. Uh, God knows his kingdom and his people need generosity for their own souls and for the kingdom of God to work. And so he calls us to that. But Another reason I would not apologize for that is uh, even if this is like your first or second time, this is actually a good opportunity for you to answer a, a, a very sensitive question right away. You can ask yourself this morning, well, okay, so I'm thinking about maybe becoming a part of this congregation. I'm checking it out. Well, when they do raise money, what do they do with it? Is it just used to, I mean, frankly, enrich pastors? Is that what happens? Or do they do things that Jesus would do in the world? Do they walk the walk, talk the talk? What happens? So this is actually could be an opportunity for you to investigate and be like, let's just cut to the chase. What do you guys do with the cash? So the types of things that you've seen here. So I hope maybe you could just use it that way. I invite you to, to do that. In fact, if anybody ever wanted to like come to the office or go out for lunch, I could bring the entire church budget and go over it with you line by line, no hidden fields. Very proud of that. I probably could talk about it longer than you'd be interested. You can just, you can just tap out like, okay, got it. Um, but our, our books are, are that open, all right? So we would do that anytime. I can, I've even emailed it to people if you'd like, I don't want to sit with you. Just give me the spreadsheet. So okay. come to think of it, I've gotten that request and no one's ever taken me up on the lunch. Hmm. I'm just having a little moment up here. All right. So here we go. So this church that you're in, Lakeland, according to our, our financial consultant that has worked with thousands of churches on things like what we're doing, um, Lakeland is one of the most generous congregations in the United States. Not in terms of dollars raised, of course. You all know there are churches with multi-million dollar budgets. But in terms of the sacrifice that each congregate makes and the number of people in the congregation who take part, who participate. One of the most giving churches in America. For instance, take the concept of tithing, you know, where Christians give 10% of their income to the work of God in the world. Um, that's taught in nearly every church in America. But uh, American Christians, only about 17% of them actually do it. But here at Lakeland, that's about double that. About 33% of folks participate in tithing. Which means that for 66% of us who don't, we probably have the question, like, how are they doing that? How does that happen? Those folks must all be rich or something, right, to be able to do that? 
So let's just pull the curtain completely back about what's going on. See if we can figure out how this is done. First of all, I'll say that here at Lakeland, only about 10% of households have an income of 200000 or more, according to that survey you guys fill out every other year. Only about 10% have an income of 200000 or more. Only half the church has a household income of 70000 or more. In fact, if you take a list of the 40 most giving families in the congregation... First of all, the entire church staff appears on that list, and they are all under 70,000. Um, the other 20, at least the other 25 percent of that list is rounded out by head of household school teachers, head of household retired school teachers. So, so it's not about wealth. That's not what makes tithing happen. So we're still kind of this question, like, how do they do it? Here's an interesting t- statistic in America: of the Christians who do tithe, who give 10 percent. Of that group, 77% of them, three-quarters of them, actually give 11 to 20%. So it's almost like once people start practicing the tithe, three-quarters of them zoom off into this other place of radical generosity, where they're 11 to 20%. How are they doing that? How is this accomplished? That's the question we're asking this morning. God invites us into this way of living in uh, the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. When he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me. Put me to the test. Now that's a fascinating scripture because we all know there are other passages in the Bible where it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Yet here's a prophet where he says, well, on this financial thing, Go ahead and give me a try. Go ahead and try me. See if I won't pour out heaven's blessings on you. You can always go back. Give it a whirl. That's a very unique and fascinating scripture. So this message this morning, I'm going to make an assumption. And it is an assumption. This may not be true. But I'm going to proceed as if it is. That everyone in the room would like to be more generous. We'll proceed on the assumption that everyone would like to tithe. Then everyone would like to be obedient to God's call to tithe. Then everyone would like to be a part of this blessing that Malachi promises from the tithe. But we just can't figure out how does someone make that happen in reality. We're going to assume this morning that everyone would like your one life to be a generous life. But you're just wondering how does that work in practicality. And today we're going to reveal the secret. There is, a, there is a secret, there is a key, there is a way that moves you immediately into that spiritual discipline and practice and makes it work. But if I revealed it right now, my message would only be about 11 minutes long. So I'm, I'm going to give you first five hints. I'm going to first give you these five hints. Now these won't make it go, but these five hints will help you move toward a generous life. And when you have a generous life, will help you keep it. They are very important. So let me start with the five hints and then we'll do the key, the secret to it all. All right, here we go. First thing is think of all of your expenditures on an annual basis when you're thinking about them. So first of all, I know that a lot of folks here in the room, uh, you're actually spending more than you earn, right? You're funding your lifestyle with loans and with credit cards. A lot of folks in America do that. So before you can even be generous, first you'd have to contract just within the boundaries of what you earn. How do you contract a lifestyle that's already in play? One of the ways is think of all your expenditures on, on an annual basis. 
what that means is don't tell yourself that it costs you $7 a month to watch The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. Tell yourself that it costs $84 a year and then ask, is it worth it? So I think that's seven 40-minute episodes for $84. I mean, if they put one of those up and said, here's 40 minutes, it'll cost you 10 bucks to watch it, would I do it? Hmm. I mean, I watch Mandalorian. I have Disney+. Plus. But now that I'm thinking of it this way, I'm, uh, season two is going to cost me $10 an episode? Uh, uh, mm, hmm. See, it just reframes it different. Don't tell yourself that it costs you six bucks in the morning to go have a Starbucks. Tell yourself it costs you twelve to fifteen hundred dollars a year to drink coffee. At the end of the year, if someone gave you twelve hundred dollars, what would you do with it? Would you go buy a Starbucks gift card to last you all next year? See, it's just you just think about it differently when you express it in its annual basis. Uh, my kids pet turtle eats $100 of groceries a year. If we, put the, if we put the cat on that new diet, the vet said it will cost $2,500 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, cable television, cell phone plan upgrades. No one's telling you what to do, but just express it to yourself in terms of a year and you'll think about it differently. And sometimes your decisions will be a lot easier than when you were talking about, well, it's just six bucks. Yeah, okay, there's a hint. To get you to a generous life, help keep you there once you're there. Here's another hint. Hang out with generous people. Hang out with generous people. So years ago, Ashley and I started hanging out with this family because we loved playing the same kind of board games they did and watching the same movies. So we had a lot of fun. What we didn't know was that they're also very healthy eaters. Their eating habits were very healthy. And so uh, we hanging out with them, it starts leaking, their life starts leaking into our life. Because when they have a recipe to share, it's a Brussels sprouts recipe. And when, when they're putting out a tray to do while you're playing games, they're putting out a tray, of, a fruit and vegetable tray. And when you're at their house playing games that last all day, they never say, hey, let's stop and order a pizza. They say, hey, let's stop and cook lunch. Because healthy eater people know cooking it yourself is better. So their, their whole lifestyle you know, it's a whole lifestyle and you, you live it with them if you hang out with them. And then you become students of it and you're like, oh, hey, I would, we started adopting parts of it. Not all of it because I can't eat quinoa. But, um, <laughs> but, but you, you know, you adopt parts that you like. Oh, I like that. Ooh, that's cool. Oh, that's how you get that done. That's where you shop for that. I see. Okay. So if you want to be generous, hang out with generous people. You know, a generous person may have a lake house, but when you go to their lake house with them, they stop at the grocery store on the way because they're not going to eat out every night or at the greasy spoon on the corner because generous people know cooking is way, way cheaper, provides more money for other things. And, and generous people, they bring board games and they bring stuff like that to do because they're not going to stage shows and amusement parks every day. In fact, if you go to a stage show or an amusement park with a generous person, they have dug up all the coupons online. Because that's what generous people do. They take the time to to dig all that stuff out. When you hang out with generous people, you're not expected to chip in and keep up with really expensive things of entertainment because generous people often don't have really expensive forms of entertainment that they do that you have to chip in on. So they make memories and they have fun, but they make memories and have fun the way generous people do that stuff. And if you're hanging out with them, then you're making memories and fun the same way. It leaks leaks over. It's a positive... uh, thing. So hang out with generous people. That's a hint. Here's another hint uh, to get to a generous life and keep it. Uh, Give thanks. 
Give thanks for what you do have. And when God provides, and especially when God provides something that you thought you are going to have to do without, and then God provides it anyway, give thanks and mark that memory. This year for the season of Lent, Pastor Dan has recommended, and we just started last night because we're always late at the Leahy House. Um, gather everyone in the kitchen and write each night on a post-it note one thing that you're thankful for, and then put it up on the kitchen cabinets. And with four people, at the end of 40 days, our kitchen's going to be covered in post-it notes of things that we're grateful for. That helps build memory. That helps build courage to be generous in the future because you, you, you're marking the memories of, that God does provide. And so this one kind of goes along with it. Here's a, a fourth hint. Share your witness. Encourage others with your story of how God provides. That also helps define your values. If you have children in the home, teach your children. Uh, share your witness with your children about what God has done. It builds courage and generosity into them. So we figured out years ago that we had to change our language about money with our kids because we were freaking them out because our church is next to a children's amusement park. And so every Sunday as we drove home, they'd say, can we go to Paradise Park? And we would say, we don't have the money for that. And we didn't realize we were freaking our kids out because they thought we didn't have enough money to go ride go-karts and we don't have enough money to go do miniature golf. And so then they started asking every Sunday just to see, like, have things gotten better or not? And so then we realized they're scared. And we're like, no, 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 no. It's not. Okay, we we weren't telling you the truth exactly. We do have money to go do go-karts. In fact, we could go do go-karts every Sunday. We're just choosing not to do that. Here's what we're choosing to do instead. Now, I love Paradise Park. They're a great neighbor to the church. Everybody ought to go to Paradise Park. Some, but not every Sunday. And so... Um, and we told them, you know, we're saving for this vacation. It's a, it's a bigger deal. Or we're giving money to these causes that are important that you've been learning about in children's church. And they're like, oh, okay. And it just calmed them down like, okay, we're just making different choices. We're not in trouble. And when, you, when God provides, tell your kids about it. You know, the Austin trip we were just talking about, my wife and I, we got two in high school now. We're like, ooh, how can we afford the high school trip when we got two? I don't know, I don't know. And then... My wife's job normally doesn't do this, but this year she got a bonus at Christmas. And so we told our kids, uh, we were praying about the Austin trip, and lo and behold, your mom has received a bonus. God has provided, so you're going to Texas. Let your kids know that God is at work. This last hint is very important to getting to a generous life and keeping it and, and not losing your soul once you get there. And that is to avoid comparison. Avoid comparison of what you're giving. Avoid comparison of what you do and what you don't have. So vows of poverty um, are not called for in Scripture by all Christians. If they were, the Bible would be much, much clearer about that. Now, I do know that vows of poverty exist, and I uh, do believe that they do great spiritual work for those who are called to them. But they're just, uh, everyone's not. Everyone's not. Uh, Giving above the tithe, that's for those who are willing and want to. It's described in the Old Testament, but even there, it's not laid down as a law that everyone must follow. Here it is. God calls each of us to what he calls us to at the time that he's calling us. And that's about all you know. And he does this on purpose, I think. This is Garrett's moment of theology. Decide if you want to keep it or not based on what he needs to do to bring us along. Like, now that I have two kids, I know you do not raise your kids the same. That's the dumbest idea ever. Like, one of my kids assigns herself homework, 
and one of my kids doesn't like homework very much. So there, he, he sometimes asks, why are there no rules about when she has to do her homework? There, no rules are necessary, <laughs> right? Different strengths, different weaknesses, different struggles, different times of life. You're older now. You know this now. The rules keep changing. Kids hate that. We hate that as God's children. But that's how it is. That's just wise, right? So you can never know at any given moment what's going on with other folks. So when we first started this church, right, we're all lean and mean, right? Tiny houses, dumpy cars, no cable TV because we're building the kingdom of God here. And we want this place someday to be an authentic uh, a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. We are all in and cashed out. Now, as we got into our 30s and 40s, I started noticing as I was moving my friends that I was moving them into bigger houses than I lived in. And I was starting to put their giant TVs into cars that were much nicer than the car I'm driving. And I'm frankly getting cranky about it. So I entered this long season of prayer. What's going on, God? Have these folks fallen off the wagon? Have they forgot the mission? Are they the, the seeds sown among thorns being choked out? Or what's going on here, God? And, and through this long season of prayer, I do believe that this is the word that the Holy Spirit had for me. It was, mind your own business. There's even a line in that in Paul. Everyone ought to work with their hands and mind their own business. And this is kind of where the spirit got with that was, okay, so you are free, right? You are living in freedom. God provides all that you need. Now, these other folks, if they've jumped the gun, if they've gone off chasing the world, they won't be free, but you will be. On the other hand, if they're experiencing God's blessing, you don't know where they are. You may be the same place they are. Maybe you'll have the same blessing in a couple of years. You don't know. But anyways, if they're walking with the Lord, being obedient, doing what's right for their family, then they'll be free and you'll be free. Either way, you're free. So just attend to yourself. Frankly, Garrett, it's a little more than you can handle most days anyway. And don't worry about everybody else. Don't worry about everybody else. Read the last two chapters of the Gospel of John when Peter gets told this as he tries to compare to what the Apostle John's getting and he's not getting. Jesus says, what's that to you? (laughs) These these phrases that God uses. Um, Comparison to what other people have and don't have, what they do and don't do, what they give and don't give, that is a a trap that destroys your soul. So that's that's an important hint to get to a generous life and, and keep it. Okay. Now, none of those are the key. None of those will make tithing happen in your life and explain how people do it. So it's now time for that. It's now time for that. So if you imagine this jar to be like your financial means, and this is all the life you're trying to put into it, this is often how it feels, right? You have all these utilities and all these bills and things that you're trying to take care of. Now, you got the mortgage or the rent. That's a big one. You got to live somewhere. You got the food you're trying to eat, right? Now, here's this giving piece, this tithing piece. That is not going to go in there. There's no point in even pouring the water, and, and I don't even know what all this represents in my life, but it's stuff I can't do because I can't even make this happen. And this is what happens when we consider giving. I got too much life for the amount of money I got. That's not going to happen. In practice, I have shattered this small jar doing this, so this could be fun for you. Okay, it survived. 
What do we do? What do we do? Well, in the Bible, it uses the word tithing, but more often it uses the word first fruits. So before money was invented at the beginning of the Old Testament, they literally gave 10% of their crops and their livestock. And they gave the first 10%, which was very risky because that's what they ate and that's what they lived on. So if they gave the first 10% as an offering to the temple of God, then what if the rest didn't come through for them? But here was their thoughts. I don't control the weather. I don't make these crops grow. God does. These crops belong to God. I'm just stewarding his earth. And when I give the first 10%, I'm recognizing that. I'm, showing my, I'm reminding myself and I'm demonstrating to God that I understand who all this really belongs to. This livestock, I don't really protect them from the elements and disease and wild animals. God does. He's in control of that. My own life is not really my own. I don't know what may happen next. I draw my next breath because it is a gift from God. And so whenever I give something first, uh, I, am, I am saying that I get it. And I'm reminding myself again of the order of things. And so if you're going to do it that way, you would take this giving piece and you would give it first. First fruits. Now, you still got to have a roof over your head and you still got to eat food. Then the rest of this, you just put it in in prayer and trust in the Lord around those important pieces. Here's everything else we got. And you find there's even room for the unexpected. give it first. That's the key. You give it first. You honor that it all belongs to God. It was never ours to begin with. And then it, then it will work. Now this also increases your faith. This also grows your faith and your closeness with God. And that's what this is all about. This is all about you being able to experience God for real in your life and your faith in him growing. Because let's talk about what happens. Let's say we do it the other way. Let's say we start with the necessities. We start with the rent. We start with the mortgage. We start with the groceries. We put clothes on our back. We put gas on our car so we can keep our job. Um, we, we do whatever it is that the kids need, okay? And we haven't done our giving yet because we're considering that flexible. And then an emergency happens. Something medical, something to do with the car, and you have the money still. And so you pay for it. And you say, whew, it's a good thing I didn't give. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had the money to take care of that. You've just reinforced not giving. Your heart has shrank just a little bit. You've just told yourself, God's good and all. He's nice and all. I love the idea of him. But when it comes to really showing up and taking care of me, he doesn't really do that. I have to take care of me. I have to save some behind to take care of me. 
Now, you've never given God a chance because as soon as the emergency happened, you just sprung it up and took care of it. So you've never exactly given him a chance to take care of you either. You have control of what's going on. You're less likely to give next month than you were this month when you were intending to because you've reinforced to yourself, it's a good thing I didn't. Now, let's consider it the other way. Let's consider that you did the first fruits tile giving. Gulp, you gave that first. Then you did the mortgage. Then you did the groceries. Then you did the clothes. Then you did the gas. Then you did what the kids need. Now you're out of money. And now the emergency happens. The, the thing with the car, the thing with your health. What can you do but pray? And then God shows up. And God does what God does. And he takes care of you just as his word said he would. And you say, whoa, I've heard about this stuff, but it never has happened to me before. I have seen a small miracle. This, these, these words that Jesus said, they are true. They are real. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And that illusion of control, that was an illusion anyway. You can never hoard up enough money that something horrible can't happen and take it all, right? Something always more horrible than what you've saved for can happen. It was always God's life and always God's world. And, and your life was always his life to begin with. And he cares for you. He loves you. He wants to provide for you. And in these moments of this type of generous living, you create the opportunities to then step into those miracles and see who God is. And that's what this morning is really all about. It's about everyone here having an opportunity to truly experience God in a tangible way that grows your faith and grows your trust. You'll be more likely to give next month than you were last month when you were afraid to because you've seen God at work. That's why those people, three quarters of those people, jump all the way up to into the 15s and 20% because they're like, God has it. God has me. I have no fear. That's why they do that. Ask anyone in this church that you know, and there are a lot of them who tithe, and they'll tell you this is the secret. Don't ever think that it was yours to begin with. And so, give it first. That's the key. That's the secret. That's what makes it happen. This is the key to having the one life worth living. So live it well.